This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. The biggest lesson I've learned is to appreciate where you are, who you are with, and what you are doing at all times, even in moments when life is hard. You read my poem at the beginning of the show, and in the book, I talk about how that was inspired by the understanding of that I almost did not survive the night of my birth, and how I feel very fortunate to live it all and to have so many extraordinary experiences. So it's important to remember to be thankful for each and every moment you have. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your life to the fullest. Today's show is bold, brave, and breathless, reveling in childhood's splendiferous glories while facing disability and loss with Margaret Ann Mary Moore. Margaret is a summer 2022 graduate of Fairfield University's Master of Fine Arts and Creative Writing program, where she earned a degree in creative nonfiction and poetry. A 2020 magnum cum laude graduate, she also holds a bachelor's degree in English and creative writing from Fairfield University. Margaret is an editor and the marketing coordinator at Woodhall Press and also works as an ambassador for PRC Saltillo. She's been featured on NBC Connecticut and WFSB News and delivers presentations at national and international writing conferences. She is the author of her new memoir, which we will be talking about today, Bold, Brave, and Breathless, Reveling in Childhood Splendiferous Glories While Facing Disability and Loss. Margaret lives in Middlebury, Connecticut. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your memoir, this beautiful memoir, which I'm holding in my hands right now. And I wanted to start by reading the poem that is at the beginning of your book so people get a sense of who you are and your outlook on life. And this you wrote, I believe, in fourth grade called The Meaning of Life. The meaning of life is a beautiful thing. It kind of hits you with a ping. But what is the meaning of life? It comes with every husband and wife and every child in the world. 
the meaning of life is God put us on this planet for a reason, to love, to learn from our mistakes, to learn about our history. I'm so glad he put us on this planet, and you should be too. And every night when I go to bed, I thank him, because things happen for a reason, like people dying and people crying, and that is the meaning of life. Fourth grade, yes? Yes, I was in fourth grade. So I read your I read your memoir. Um, I, I feel like I went on a uh, on your on your journey um, with you and your family, your mom, your brothers, and for the beginning, your father. Tell everyone a little bit about your story. This book was my childhood dream. My second grade teacher recognized my writing talents after I turned in my very first fiction story as a class assignment. And she pulled my mother aside and told her that I was a very strong writer and that she foresaw a career as an author for me, especially given my background losing my father to stomach cancer and pursuing regular education, athletics, and activities such as girl scouting alongside my able-bodied peers. I loved to write from the time I was introduced to this subject in school, so as soon as my mom and my teacher started telling me that I could grow up and be a writer, that became my own dream. The hope that we all share for this first book is that people of all abilities find inspiration to persevere through any adversities in their lives, whether they be disabilities, socioeconomic issues, or any other challenges, and find ways to achieve their ambitions. That is beautiful. And um, your book is an inspiration. Um, your, Your perseverance. Um, and tenacity. And uh, for those of you listening, um, there was a, we had a lot of technology <laughs> challenges to get through. And um, just like everything that I've learned about your childhood, you get through it. And um, I tell us a little bit about your mom. Uh, you, you, at the beginning, you talk about your mom and the adversity. Um, with your father's uh, early passing, and you said she chose to rise. She chose to rise, and she chose to rise above the grief. Tell us about your mom. My parents have always been my inspiration. As a child, I always admired my mother for her positive outlook, even though our lives have been full of adversities. Of course, I still admire her for that today, but now having interviewed her on such an in-depth level for the book, I see the obstacles she had to overcome as a mother, a single mother, and a caregiver, and it's made me appreciate her positive outlook and the childhood she gave my brothers and me even more. Same with my father. My mom always used the determination that my dad had when battling his cancer as an example for my brothers and I to follow, teaching us that we should never give up on our goals. Writing about him, my father made me understand the extent of my parents' obstacles and how hard my father worked to provide for us even when he was sick. My parents inspire me to have that same relentless determination in all of my endeavors. And and he said, uh, sometime during his last year, whatever the obstacle, we will overcome it. And that seems to have to be a rallying cry for. Uh, your mom, your brothers, and you um, for your entire lives. Yes. 
so when you were, um, gosh, there's, there's so many directions I want to go here when, um, I want you to educate us about um, your communication device, because I know when you were a child, you were using um, the Dynavox, change the way you can communicate with your peers and your teachers. And um, so tell everyone a little bit about that initial device and the device these days with, um, with, with much more technology. Um, that you have at your disposal. I was born with cerebral palsy. I received my first AAC device when I was four years old. My current device is the PRC Saltillo Accent 1000, and I've had it for about four years. I have two access methods that I alternate between. I use iGaze and my wheelchair joystick, which connects wirelessly through Bluetooth. My eyegaze is great for communicating as it allows me to compose responses with optimal efficiency. I also use my communication device as my Windows tablet, and I'm a writer and I also work in the book publishing industry, so my joystick makes it easy to scroll through and edit documents and conduct research on the internet and so on. I've used my joystick for about 12 years and my eyegaze for about 4 years. And I'm really happy with them as their own methods, and I absolutely love having the ability to switch between them. I love my Accent 1000. I love how it's a communication device, Windows tablet, and computer all in one. That's really what has enabled me to pursue a career in higher education. And it's so portable and is able to be customized to meet my specific accessibility needs and career goals. So wonderful. I... Um, it seemed when you were given your early devices, it just opened up this whole world for people to understand you and for you to communicate who you truly were. I, I mean, the the quick-witted sense of humor and your uh, your bright cognitive ability was it as if a, a whole door opened up for you? It was. I talk about how other children treated me like a doll always wanting to take care of me, and then I got my communication device, and they suddenly saw me as somebody who had thoughts and could play and make jokes like them. My communication device helped them to see me as a person. It seems like you write, you write about Longfellow Elementary School, LFE. L-F-E-S, as you refer to it, um, um, with such fondness um, once you ended up with Mrs. Tripp and others. And we're going to talk about the few exceptions of where you were not treated well. But I'm wondering if you can tell us what the environment of that elementary school was for you and how that formed your foundation. Long Meadow. Long Meadow. Thank you. I, it's L-M-E-S, not L-F-E-S. Thank you. Long Meadow Elementary School. Long Meadow was exceptional. My mother always says that is the one school she didn't have to fight for inclusion. It was already in their philosophy. They actually did a workshop every year where my classmates could try my assistive technology and see what it was like to use it. They did a lot to teach everyone that I was a normal kid who just needed help getting around. And I still have friends from the school and they are the most accepting and inclusive individuals. 
and I truly believe that is because of how much our school did to teach them about my disability. That seems progressive, and yet it seems like it should not be progressive. That that should be the way that all schools um, educate, advocate, include um, children of all different profiles. And I'm wondering with your your work as an advocate and speaking uh, in the around the country and around the world, what do you see in terms of what the the positive movement that it, where we're going with inclusion and where we still have a long way to go? I was the only one with a physical disability in my class. Usually children with this type of disability don't go to regular classes and are instead put in a life skills class where they learn to cook and bake and do laundry. My elementary school was wonderful about having me take this other path, and later on my mother and I did have to counter a lot of people who told me not to stay in regular education, not to go to college and grad school, because people with disabilities don't do that. So now I give presentations at international conferences about how it is possible for people with disabilities to get a real education. I do see some progress, but there's a long way to go. And I think of where I would be now if I had taken that other path, and my life would be completely different without my education and career. So I share my story to help others become aware that they don't have to spend their lives limited to cooking, baking, and doing laundry. That's so important um, and so glad that you have shared your story um, with so many. And there, there are so many people who saw early on your abilities, not your disabilities. And I think that's one of the problems that we have in our society and um, also just the medical model um, in the world of um, psychology that I work in and um, neurodivergence is how people are often so fixated and focused on what's, what's the challenges, um, what needs to be fixed, what's broken, and at the expense of all of the ability and talent and skill and creativity that individuals have. And I know that there was a point when you realized you were smart. And please tell us what, how that occurred and, and what that awareness did for you and how you saw yourself and your potential and possibilities. I was really fortunate to have my mother and my school recognize my intelligence right away. Before I went to Long Meadow Elementary, I faced severe discrimination at a school in a different city. I was four years old, and at that age, you don't understand why you are told that it is okay for other children to play and answer questions in class but that you are not allowed to. I used to go home every day and ask my mother why I got in trouble for doing what the other students were doing and she would be honest and tell me about how some people don't accept those who have disabilities. After that school year, she moved our family to Middlebury, Connecticut, 
where I attended Longmeadow and Region 15 schools. And it was life-changing. I got to be the student I wanted to be. I loved learning and really wanted to go for those top grades, and my teachers supported that from elementary school all the way through graduate school. I was of course held to the same academic standards as my able-bodied peers and graduated with honors at every school. That is wonderful. You talk about a lot of acceptance um, for who you were, and unfortunately, most individuals cannot get through school without some form of meanness or bullying, and individuals with disabilities tend to be additional targets, which is unthinkable, but, but true. The four, in your fourth grade year, when you wrote the poem in the beginning of your book that I read at the beginning of this show, also, I believe, was the same year you experienced bullying both from the individual which you refer to as Beatrice and also the, I will say, prejudice discrimination from your Girl Scout troop leader, an adult, where we would not think that that would, that would happen, but it does. I'm wondering what you can tell us, tell everyone about how how bullying can affect us and how parents and teachers and caregivers and all those who care about children, what they can do to prevent that from occurring. I was bullied significantly from the time I was in fourth grade until the middle of high school. And I talk in the book about the idea of otherness and how people will take that one characteristic that sets you apart from everyone else and use that against you. I think my school did a wonderful job of teaching children about diversity and disabilities, but if it's not reinforced outside of school or if there are adults who blatantly show prejudice, children are going to take that as an example of acceptable behavior. Even today, at 26 years old, I still have to face derogatory remarks about my disability from people of all ages, and of course as an adult. I'm capable of standing up for myself and creating change so that this becomes less likely for other people to experience. But I think it would be good to have some training or maybe fun activities and communities to help people to learn about accepting diversity more. It saddens me to hear that the amount of uh, bullying and discrimination that persisted for you and that you continue to, um, it, it just. At times, it just boggles my mind how human nature, and this unfortunately is human nature, that we humans tend to be threatened by others who are different or threatened by those things we don't understand. And it's just hard to believe that people are targeted, and we know that people are targeted for all different sorts of differences which is why your story and your mission and advocacy is so important for us all to hear. I'm, you've, you have you've had so many supportive people in your life. Um, of course, your mother as is peppered throughout the book and um, such a, a pillar of strength. And the other two people who are 
in your book and in many of your pictures. And by the way, I have to say that I love all of the photographs um, of your childhood. It just brings everything to life. Are your brothers, Sean and Brian. And I'm wondering if you could tell us both the impact that they have had on you and what you believe the impact that you have had on them. My brothers had this incredible way of knowing my limitations and my disability needs, but also finding ways to bring me into their childhood experiences as if I was no different than any other kid. So I can not stand or walk on my own, but they would hold me up on their skateboards or help me run around a baseball diamond. And from those moments, I learned to see myself as a normal kid. And then what I see in them is this wonderful acceptance of diversity. I've seen them stand up for me when people try to exclude or make fun of me. And the most amazing thing I've seen is their willingness to stand up for other people who they don't even know but see them getting picked on because of their disabilities. They seem like such phenomenal people. And I think if they were here you know, joining us, they would be talking about the profound impact you've had on them and what you've taught them. And I know it's hard to get into someone else's mind, but what would you say, what do you think you have taught them about life? I think, and I hope, I've taught them to see that every opportunity in life is open to them no matter if they think some physical or figurative barrier prevents their participation and success. My brothers are extremely intelligent, so I hope they use my experiences as inspiration to keep seeking to achieve levels of success even greater than the incredible accomplishments they already have. There are no limits to how far they can go in their lives. Ah. <sighs> Margaret, I am smiling right now. Uh, for our listeners, we usually get to see each other, and um, we've been having we had technical difficulties, so we're just doing audio today. But um, Margaret, I'm hoping you can uh, sense my smile and hear and uh, imagine my smile because um, I just think your uh, your words and your experience is um, just inspiring for all of us to be our best versions of ourselves, regardless of our um, situation, physical or otherwise. And I have, a, I have an, uh, an open-ended question for you. Um, I know you are um, in your, you're in your mid-20s, and yet you are wise beyond your years. So I was wondering if you can share with us what you have learned about life so far, knowing there's still so much more to learn and experience. The biggest lesson I've learned is to appreciate where you are, who you are with, and what you are doing at all times, even in moments when life is hard. You read my poem at the beginning of the show. And in the book, I talk about how that was inspired by the understanding I've had throughout my life and even as a child that I almost did not survive the night of my birth and how I feel very fortunate to live it all and to have so many extraordinary experiences. So it's important to remember to be thankful for each and every moment you have. 
gratitude. And um, we are recording the day before Thanksgiving. Um, and so this is an important message for us all to think about is what we have to be grateful for. <sighs> what are you hoping people get from your book and the impact that it will have on our world? I hope that people see that whether they are dealing with a medical condition or other challenges, there is always a way to achieve their ambitions even in the midst of adversity, and that this book inspires more widespread inclusion. It will, and it already has inspired me as a reader, and is going to inspire so, so many others who read it. It is full of stories, and your, uh, your memory is amazing. Uh, the dialogue and the, the detail of the events, is it brought them all to life for me. Um, and as I said, I felt, like, I felt like I was in your story and observing your story. Margaret, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. So here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life and or those you love. My mother has read my book during the production phases of publication and now again after it was released. And she keeps saying how amazing it is to have our family story documented even just as a keepsake for our own family. That's pretty powerful to know that I'm able to give that gift to my family. Hmm. Really powerful. And your dad, who um, passed away just before your second birthday, is so much a part of your story, your brother's story, your mom's story, your life, and I know continues to be a part. I have to ask, since this memoir ends in childhood, and uh, you've had a lot of experiences since, and many more to go, are there other projects, memoirs, novels, writings in the works or in the future? I have started the sequel and am planning to make this a series of memoirs. <laughs> Wonderful. I had a feeling you have so much more to say and so much more wisdom to impart to all of us. When on this show, we are always talking about self-awareness and being intentional and purposeful, as you know, about leaving healthy footprints. And that is exactly what you are doing for all those who are in your life and all of us out there who are reading and going to be reading more about your life. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I so appreciate the time that you have spent with us this morning. Please let everyone know where they can find your book and possibly learn more about you. If you go to my website, margaretandmarymore.com, you can find my book, 
see where I'll be having author events, send me an email, and connect with me on social media from there. Wonderful. Margaret, thank you for sharing your wisdom and story with us today. So appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone, that is Margaret Ann Mary Moore, author of Bold, Brave, and Breathless, Reveling in Childhood's Splendiferous Glories While Facing Disability and Loss. I strongly suggest this read. Not only is it entertaining and inspiring, it is there are messages for all of us to incorporate in our own lives with all of those we love, all of those we educate, all of those we live with, and to help make our community and society a more inclusive and accepting place for everyone of all types with all profiles, regardless of what that may be. Please share this with anyone and everyone that you know will benefit. Thank you for being a part of our community. We so appreciate your five-star reviews. As we are entering Thanksgiving, this will be out after. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for your voices, for your questions, and just for being the person that you are and having the impact that you do on those around you. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself that guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.